are here for episode two of, of the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I am Jason Duway, excited to be here breaking down everything football and everything in between. Again, we have a lot of action for you today. We're going to be talking prep football. We're going to be talking previews of next week. We're also recapping the week that just happened. We have special guest and friend of Frank, Coach Frank Monica, Coach Wayne Stein from St. Charles Catholic. And then in segment three, we're going to have our Let's Be Frank segment but we're going to go ahead and discuss helmet-to-helmet contact. We're going to have discuss the new playoff committee and format and the way that's going to work with 12 teams. And also going to go dive into some questions, recap some local college scores and some information on that. But let's go ahead and bring on Coach Monica. Coach, um, week one is in the books. How do you feel about finally being back in football season? Oh, it's great because, you know, what happens after – Jason, during the summer, you have all summer long. Most coaches break down the first two or three games of, of the season. So you get some surprises there. Some people will be ultimately surprised and happen to the college level also because they have a lot of time to prepare for those teams. Uh, film goes out because of the huddle and everybody has the film on, on everyone else. And unless there's a new coaching staff, you really don't know what they're doing. But we've seen a, we've seen a lot, a lot of a new faces that we talked about last week. But yet uh, I'm not I'm surprised by a couple of the scores and we will recap a couple of these these games that we saw that were that was some uh, somewhat of a surprise during the season. Let's dive into some of those scores and recap some of this week one action. A lot of intriguing matchups that occurred, and it's great to see these big time programs go ahead and play each other as we enter our prep talk segment. And coach, recapping week one, one score that we discussed just yesterday was U High defeating Woodlawn and Baton Rouge. 25 to nothing. You know, Woodlawn has a high-powered quarterback coming into this game. You high, very talented ball club. And shocked. At, are you surprised a bit at the way that game played out? I'm surprised at the shutout because Woodlawn's quarterback is an excellent thrower. He's got great feet. He can run. Uh, he's not a big kid, but he's very, very athletic. But I also saw you high on tape. They got some guys that can play on defense. And they come from all over the place. They, they, they're blitz-happy defense and and, uh, and if you don't take, prepare yourself well, they can really embarrass you. And they play extremely, extremely hard. Coach Martin has done a great job there. And, and uh, since, he's taken, since he's taken over that program, uh, the defending state champion. And, uh, and, and I think they kind of shocked Woodlawn because I thought Woodlawn would actually give him a better ball game than it turned out. But that's only one game. It doesn't really mean very much. But sometimes uh, most coaches say a team improves the most from week one to week two. So it remains to be seen. Uh, how they, they both come out of this, where Woodlawn ends up at the end of the year. I'm sure there'll be a playoff contender with that kind of talent. And they have more than just a quarterback. They have a, a couple of defensive linemen that are also very, very good football players. And looking at another game that might be a bit of a surprise, Brother Martin, blanks Madison prep, 17 to nothing. Again, we discussed the strength of the Catholic League just a week ago, taking on a very talented team out of Baton Rouge and Madison prep that you're familiar with, you've played before. What do you think about that matchup and how that game played out? Well, I, you know, Brother Martin, is, is, is they have a fine system. Coach Bonis has done a, a great job there since he's been there. And uh, they do a phenomenal job on both sides of the football. They have no weaknesses. So it's going to take a, a very, very good football team to beat them and, and people that are very more athletic teams maybe. But uh, they, they're very good in the offensive line. They're very good in the defensive line. They're sound on everything that they do. Madison Prep, I did not see them on tape. But they've always had athletes, and I know that they've always been a contender. And uh, it's a, it, it, and you know, as you said before, Michael Roach is a guy that came from there. When we played against Michael Roach at, 
at SEC, I was scared for my fans because the guy was so tough. I mean, he was the meanest football player I've ever seen on the football field. He was definitely a great ball player, and we're going to discuss that one a bit more in depth later um, in a kind of a crossover topic, but we'll get to that in a bit. Jesuit, Slidell sticking with the Catholic League. Jesuit comes from behind in a tight matchup to beat Slidell 16-13 to in a very tight ball game. Again, another Catholic League team coming out on top. Coach Scoble is a defensive-minded guy, and he's been around for a long, long time. He's, he's actually been in River Parishes also, uh, became the head coach at Slidell, and, and, and it showed the other night because Jesuit had a, a time moving the football, but they, and they had to come from behind. They were down by 10, and they had to come from behind to, to win the football game in overtime. Uh, credit to Coach Manali's team for, for staying the course and, and being resilient at the end, and that's, that's all you want for your, your football team, especially in week one. Rummel knocks off Washington Parish, 42-28. to Rummel, obviously coming out the gate pretty strong. Coach, you're kind of familiar with that program for multiple reasons, but you're also familiar with Washington Parish. That area produces so much football talent, and Washington Parish kind of gets mixed in a bit and overlooked. But that's a very talented, well-coached team that Rummel found a way to beat them by a couple of scores. Well, you know, they – I have a stiff neck. I thought I was at the at the U.S. Open watching tennis because the game went back and forth. My son uh, you know, Nicholas is the head coach at Rumble High School. Naturally, I was on the sideline, and I they played it on Thursday night at Southeastern. And um, Rumble's quarterback had a, a great night. He threw a couple of long touchdown passes to keep them in the ball game, get a little distance. But really, Washington was really electric. They, I don't know if they've ever stopped. I think there was only maybe two punches in the entire game, and it, it went back and forth. And uh, they run the, the old West Monroe offense with the the fullbacks up close to the center, and this is what we call the sniffer technique, and the tailbacks nine yards deep, and they run some triple option out of that. They're very talented with a huge offensive line. They're going to win a lot of football games. They were they were picked number ten in the, in the state, so that was a big win for Rumble, and uh, and uh, because they were they were actually outmanned up front. Lutcher defeated Thibodeau sixty two to thirty five. Lutcher, of course, has a extremely talented quarterback in Dewanye Lunch Winnefield. He's proven to be an asset since his freshman year, both on the football field and the basketball court, and just proving why he is one of the most vastly underrated prospects in Louisiana this year. Uh, it's, it's hard to believe that the kid doesn't have many multiple big offers. You know, we've watched him all summer in seven on seven. Uh, Coach Stein would expound on it later on, uh, but he's a threat. He's a, uh, he looks to me like a Cam Newton prototype. He can throw it. And uh, the thing that Coach Jenkins talked about at Lutcher is that how great a leader he is. He's a tremendous leader in the locker room, on and off the field, and uh, he's, he's not afraid to be unpopular, and that's what a leader does. you know. But, but I mean, the, the guys know that he's the, their bell cow uh, to move the football. So the, they, he had a great night against, against Thibodeau. I think he counted for seven touchdowns. Thibodeau has a lot of talent, and uh, they scored 35 points in the, in the ballgame. So and when I first looked at the score, I didn't know if I was looking at the stock market or was, was that a real basketball score. But uh, he, he, he's certainly a talented individual, and that was a great ball game uh, to be part of. Thibodeau always does have a ton of talent. And to go look at the actual list of offers he has, uh, to my right, to my knowledge at least, Louisville, Virginia, and UCF for Winterfield, any of which would be very lucky to get that athlete on either the basketball court or the football field. He's an extremely talented young player. Newman defeated Hornville 35-14. to 14. Arch Manning getting a lot of this noise from the outside. 
for people trying to come after him. But I'm going to tell you what, he made some incredible passes in this game, proving why he is the athlete that he is. And, of course, the pedigree quarterback that he is going to become at the next level. No question. You know, Coach Daniel Luquette at, at Hondo, he has some weapons also. And uh, I think they were a little surprised at, at the fact that Newman ran the ball a little bit against him. And, uh, but, you know, what takes place is that all of a sudden people are looking for, for Manny, Little Orch, and, and, and they, they sort of gear the secondary and maybe even play some more nickel than they want to. And all of a sudden they got an opportunity to, to, to move the ball on the ground. Uh, Coach Stewart does a phenomenal job with them, uh, and he always has. And I think he took a step up. And, and by, what I mean by that, you know, many, many times on his schedule that he, he really upgraded it. We, we, he and I talked with personal friends. We talked about it because, uh, you know, he feels like if you upgrade the schedule and if you win those, those games like that, it really adds to your program and, uh, and the, the psychic. So that carries you to the postseason because then you can tell people, well, listen, we played a Hornville here. We defeated Hornville. We'll take on anybody from here on up because you know Hornville is a talented football team. So that was a big win for Newman. Yes, uh, and, and Little Archie scrambled a couple of times. And, and uh, that's the most important thing for a quarterback, that you have to extend that pocket a little bit or extend the play. Uh, you, you see it every Saturday, every Sunday. The, the better quarterbacks always keep their eyes up the field and they make things happen. And that's what he did on Friday night. And Will Randall, the tight end, is a freak show athlete. He can play defensive end. He can line up at tight end whatever. Wherever he lines up, you have to account for him. And he will he will beat you nine times out of ten. He's an extremely talented athlete that does not get enough recognition, hasn't offered a tech. He is committed to Texas to play with Arch. And we'll see that connection at the next level. A game that you wanted to highlight as well, which is a shocking score. We got to see Vanderbilt Catholic play last year. Edie White, 35, Vanderbilt Catholic, nothing. We got to watch a very talented running back, young running back at Vanderbilt Catholic just a year ago, who had uh, quite a few plays. Coleman uh, is a very athletic young man who's getting offers and, and getting looks. Edie White, a team that not many people were giving credit to, found a way to get to the state title game, couldn't come away with it, but picking up right where they left off last season with this massive win in week one at Vanderbilt Catholic, which, Coach, you can attest, not an easy place to win. I've called many games there. Very few teams come out with a victory, much less a 35 to nothing statement win in week one. I think that there's a lot of credit because uh, E.D. White, you know, they played, as you said, they played for the state championship last year. They've now gotten their program to another level. And uh, it, it, I do think Coach Kyle has done a phenomenal job there. He came back as the head coach, and now they, they're, really, they're really rolling. And when you be to find uh, Vanderbilt team with, with Coach Bender, I mean, that, I know that they're going to be well coached. He's going to have his kids in position. And that had to be, that had to be a war because that's two schools that are very, very physical. Uh, they're only about 15 miles apart, from, and they're very much alike. And, uh, but the score is sort of shocking to me. So that means that, that E.D. White is really on course probably to repeat and getting themselves in that, in that championship game again. They definitely have. It definitely looks like that's the way to start. That's what you're trying to achieve this year. A, another score, Riverside defeated St. Thomas Aquinas 62-23. to 23. That number definitely jumps out at you. We know the athleticism that Riverside has. Very talented running back on their squad and putting up a ton of points. Maybe looking forward to that next week matchup they have against Newman. They tell me when the Elijah Davis runs the football, I mean, you know, even the cheerleaders run away on the sideline because he's a big, powerful guy, you know, and he, and, uh, he knows where the end zone is located. It's hard for anybody to tackle him one-on-one, -on -one, and especially that level. So um, look, look for him to have a phenomenal year. 
He's, he's already scored a number of touchdowns. And that quarterback, the little email, email kid, is very, very capable. St. Thomas Aquinas now has some, has some people with the get over there. I mean, he's, he's got a nice squad. So that wasn't a slappy football team at all. But that was a good football team that Riverside beat. And Coach Rousseau's first victory, and I texted him the other day, congratulations. I said, to him, don't win in too many too fast because then the alumni will start expecting more. <laughs> And the last game we're going to talk about is East St. John defeating St. James 28-20. to Coach, I can touch on this one a bit. I got a chance to watch this ball game live. I was there, and East St. John has a solid mix of young and older talent. Uh, not to get too personal into this, but I got to coach a number of these young men that are playing for the East St. John program, and they have so much young talent that is coming up. You see sophomores, juniors, guys who you're not really hearing about, but you know East St. John's going to have athletes on the perimeter. Cortez Fisher is the running back who, again, is, is getting a lot of looks and a lot of recognition. There are so many guys that I could sit here and list that are going to make their mark. And this is a young, hungry football team that understands where they lie and what their goals are. And I, I think they might sneak up on some people. That St. James team is no slouch. Yeah, I think so. I think Brendan Brown is a hard worker. And uh, you know he deserves a he deserves a, a, a real good season, and I think he will. And you know they they have a lot of speed. We saw that. I got some in seven on seven, but I don't really know what their linemen were, were like. Uh, but they did surprise a very very good St. James football team. So that's that score right there really surprised me. You were asking about their linemen. I, one word: big. <laughs> they they have some monsters up front for East St. John and. Again, that's a team you might want to keep your eye on coming out. Let's look at some previews. Coach, there's so many games that we could sit here and discuss. Uh, but let's start with Newman versus Riverside. Arch Manning taking on this Riverside football team with new leadership, new head coach. It's a very intriguing matchup early on. There's two teams that used to play a lot more and getting a chance to duke it out on the gridiron this Friday night. Yeah, what's interesting is about the coordinators there. You know, Coach Lassen is back at as a defensive coordinator, and he's faced Newman many, many times when they were in the district. So there won't be any secrets there. I don't know how much Newman has changed their offense. It's going to be a very intriguing game because you got the pass versus a running football team, and of course, Riverside can can score also. They can light up the scoreboard. So this could either be a high scoring game, but Newman don't discount their defense. Their defense has played better. Uh, they've done a, a real, real nice job of, of being in position with their Run fits in secondary. They're, they're pretty sound. So it's going to be a heck of a game, and, and, and I wish I could be there to, to see that one. But I, I'm sure that uh, I'll talk to both coaches, Coach Roussel and Coach Stewart, during the week, and maybe they'll get a, get a chance to see it on tape. Another big matchup is going to be Catholic taking on Warren Easton. Warren Easton went out to Ruston, which is not an easy place to play if you haven't been out there. It's a massive stadium, a ton of athletes. We know the type of caliber team that Warren Easton is. Catholic of Baton Rouge lost to a very talented team out of Maryland just a week ago on a last-second field goal that bounced off the goalpost, found a way to get through. What are you expecting to see in this matchup between two very athletic ball clubs that will most likely be competing for, if not in the state title game? There's no question, Jason. You know, Catholic High is very methodical. Their kids will basically will always be in position. Uh, they won't be out of position. They will play extremely hard. They'll be well, well coached. And uh, as, as you can tell, because they have many skins on the wall. And then Warren Easton is the same way, but Warren Easton it might have a little bit more speed on the perimeter, maybe the secondary. 
And uh, uh, when you play a team like Warren Easton, that talented, uh, the coaches tell you just keep the ball in front of them. Don't give up the explosive play. And that's a, I think that the, the coaches, that will be, uh, reverberate all the way through that locker room the entire night. To say, hey, don't give up the big play. Make them beat the defense. Don't give them turnovers and things like that. That could be a very intriguing game. Ornison's still trying to get that title, and they've been so close so many times, and this could be the year. We'll see. A very talented ball club, as always. This upcoming week, again, Brother Martin taking on St. Paul's. Interesting matchup with this, another Catholic League ball club, and Brother Martin, as you said earlier, very well coached. A no weakness type of ball club. How does St. Paul match up against this brother Martin team? That's a good question. I think St. Paul's defensive line is, is is pretty good from what I understand. And I know in the scrimmage they went toe to toe with with John Curtis, and that says a lot when it comes to the lineman matchup right there. Um, but you know, but brother Martin is also very physical, so that that could be that could really be a fun game to watch. Uh, I think they played it on the North Shore. There'll be a packed house there, and and. And, you know, the, the, the thing about the, the minute of these teams now are playing Friday night and, you know, coaches like to have a seven day week preparation and rather than going on Thursday and then going on Saturday and they like to get into routine so the players can get in routine, the, the parents can get in routine. And uh, so I think what you see now in the, in the week two, a lot of these games will start to build up on Friday with that week, just a seven day week preparation, which I was in favor of. Curtis taking on Zachary two. Massive programs in Louisiana football. Zachary has been consistently getting notoriety, not just locally, but around the country. Very talented ball clubs. Curtis hasn't been able to reach the pinnacle uh, or find as much success as they are accustomed to in Division One, but equally as dangerous, equally as talented, and a very scary ball club as they make the trip out to Baton Rouge. Well, you know, Zachary's always had some D1 guys. I mean, that's not a secret. Every year they, they've done a phenomenal job of putting kids in college and stuff like that. I really I really think that they're very athletic. But on the other hand, until you play John Curtis, you just don't know. And because the, the things that they do are a little bit different than a lot of schools. And, I mean, the way they run their veer, uh, their, 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 their defense is always sound. The defense doesn't get the credit that it deserves. Everybody talks about the veer offense but they've always been a phenomenal uh, defensive football team. And uh, you know, I talked to Coach Curtis in the summer. He thought his offensive line was going to be pretty good this year. And when he says that, that means they're, they're going to be really good. <laughs> they normally have some some pretty big ball players up front on that offensive line. So if something stands out on either one of those lines, it, it must mean something. And you need to take that for what it's worth. Jesuit takes on Rustin this Friday. We just discussed how – Rustin is and how Jesuit found a way to beat Slidell. That's a tough matchup for both teams, and it should be an interesting matchup to see Jesuit taking on this Rustin ball club that's coming fresh off of that Warren Easton loss. Both teams are kind of coming off opposite ends of the spectrum. Both teams had tight losses, or one team had a tight loss, one team had a tight win, and how they can wrangle that emotion for this upcoming matchup. You know, it's different when you play a team from the north, you have nothing to compare it to. You know, now it's good that they could compare the, the team that they played last week, which was Warren Eastern, so judges can look at that tape. But it's, it's sometimes you'd like to know what the competition level is all about when you play a team from another, another part of the state, for instance. Not that we have a big state, but it's totally different because most of the time you're playing teams within the New Orleans area along I 10, and very seldom you see these matchups in the north. But we, hit, we, we get in more and more of those now because. 
it's hard to schedule. And that's what people don't understand. The more success you have uh, as, as a coach, I mean, there are a lot of people that don't want to play you, you know, because they say, wait a minute, coach, we're not ready to play you. So it, 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 that making that schedule during the off season after reclassification year is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do in coaching because uh, all of a sudden you get people that hang up the phone on you or they start laughing. Say, Are you kidding me? So, so it's, it's really interesting that you see a lot of these matchups now, basically a Northern team, a Northern team against a Southern team. And that's one of the reasons for it. Coach, there's two other matchups I want to mention. We can briefly talk about that, but you, I, you brought up a really good point that I want to hit on in just a moment. So Carr also plays Scotlandville coach of the year degree, two extremely talented teams, a lot of D one prospects. That should be a fascinating game to watch. Yeah, no question about that. You know, you, you're talking about speed, speed, speed. Uh, there's no expression that speed never has an off day. And uh, you're going to see it on that in that ball game. You know, so it's going to look like the tape is on fast forward. So, so get ready for it. It could be it could be a fun game. And and uh, but that's exactly why you play these kind of games, because that's what people want to see these type of matchups. One that's kind of hidden in the weeds that I really think is interesting is Alexandria taking on St. Thomas More. Alexandria has been kind of coming on really strong these past few years and, and making deep runs and taking on the team in St. Thomas Moore that has been very dominant. Of course, they lose their starting quarterback, who's now at LSU, very talented uh, ball player. And I think that'll be a, a great barometer for both teams to see where are they at this point and where can they move forward. I, it, did he hit, did he uh, actually replace Jamie Howard? I don't know. Or Jamie Howard's son, Walker Howard. And uh, Excuse me for saying that because I was I recruited on on Jamie the daddy at one time when I was at Tulane and I guess I can't get him out of my system. But you know they've always have a great program. Their offense has always been electric, fast, fast paced. I mean I, I think that that's going to be a, a great matchup. Um, St. Thomas More has a big program. Uh, the kids play extremely hard. I mean they got a lot of support. I mean they, they're kind of the them and Notre Dame McCrawley in that in that area are kind of these schools that everybody like watches. And also Acadiana also, you know, but that could be a great matchup too. One question I want to ask, it's not necessarily related to recap, but you brought up a really good point about scheduling that I think is really prevalent in especially the situation that some of the smaller schools are. With the power rating system, you gain for those who don't know, you gain points by playing up in classification, playing better teams, the wins that those teams gain, it, it's all comes down to numbers. And Coach, when you were at St. Charles Catholic, you were a two-way program. What made it so difficult to schedule some of those games? Because towards the end of your coaching career, I saw a lot of games from teams out of the state. So can you explain to people why you were playing those teams out of state? Why were these matchups happening? And, you know, what what that causes to happen as a program, having to go play maybe uh, three or four or five hours away? Well, number one, your districts are smaller. So when your districts are smaller – you're playing maybe three or four district games. So you got to go find six ball games. And that's very, very hard to do to find the matchup who's open because if someone else has a big district, well, they can't play you week five or six or seven. They can't play you that week. So, and it's always nice to have a big district. So that takes care of your schedule and maybe fill in the top three games on the schedule. But it wasn't like that. And it's, and it's hard to find people that actually have the same open date that you have unless there's a buy in the schedule. And if they don't want to play you, that's another issue. Because, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure for coaches to win. And some, most of that pressure is self-inflicted. Uh, I might add that. You know, but there's a lot of – so a lot of them want, want to put these, these patches on their schedule 
and but they're not going to help themselves with, with a power ranking. Uh, but Jason, a couple of schools we didn't mention, we talked about the big one this week, and that's a Lutcher, uh, Lutcher SEC and and uh, Rumble and, and Uhi. That those two those two games that Lutcher SEC is going to be it's going to be uh, electric crowd. It's going to be a lot of fun, and um, you know I know Coach Coach Stein will elaborate that on that a lot. But it's going to be a lot of fun. But that's a, that's going to be a huge game for everybody. And then the Rumble goes to Uhi and plays a talented team. And you get the, it's going to be Rumble's offense against a talented defense, and uh, so that's going to be that's going to be a very interesting game because Uhi plays a different level. They play right next to Tiger Stadium, and uh, with, with and, they, and they got two guys on that team that are already committed uh, to, to D1 scholarships. So so I think that Rumble's going to have their hands full going down to Uhi. You're absolutely right. That Rumble Uhi matchup slipped by mm -hmm. me. That's a that's an interesting matchup, and that should be a fun one to watch. Again, mm -hmm. two big teams who are going to get a chance to see early on where they stack up against the competition. But that will wrap things up here for our first segment for Prep Talk, and we're going to go ahead and give a word from our sponsors. And we want to we want to thank Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms, Samuel Accardo Jr. and Ari Dufresne. Your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and servicing our communities is our passion. So after we go ahead and take a break, when we come back, we're going to have an interview from St. Charles Catholic head coach, Wayne Stein, which should be really exciting. And we're going to finish things off with our Let's Be Frank segment, where we're going to talk helmet-to-helmet -helmet contact, get a roundup of the local college scores and events. And we're also going to look at Blitz the Coach, get some questions from you guys, and also some Football 101, where we're going to talk about prevent defense. So remember, you're watching the Let's Be Frank podcast. Our guest played for Coach Frank Monica in high school before moving on to play for the University of Louisiana. He joined Coach Frank Monica's staff and became the defensive coordinator from 2006 to 2020, where his defenses have amassed 57 shutouts and held their opponents to an average of 12.6 points per game in that span. The now head coach of the St. Charles Catholic Fighting Comets won a state title in his first season as head coach and is the defending Division Three state champions while also picking up his second baseball title in the same season, despite the community dealing with the fallout from Hurricane Ida. I'd like to now bring on head coach Wayne Stein. Coach, congratulations on the title last year, both of them. You and both Coach Monica have now won a title in baseball and football as head coaches. Not many people can say they've done that, but what have you done this offseason to prepare your team for going from being the hunter to the hunted. Yeah, you know, it's tough. You know, we talk about that all the time, uh, especially for the guys that had a, a large impact uh, on that state championship. Uh, and we actually have some experience, you know, and I didn't, I felt like uh, Coach Monica could probably agree. Now, Hurricane Isaac had something to do with that, but I, I thought one of our most underachieving teams was 2012, the year after the state championship. Um, and I felt like it was hard to turn the page, you know, on top of having Isaac and gutting house and whatnot. Uh, so really we've, we've just talked about expanding the brand. It's kind of been our slogan and saying, Hey, you know, um, getting each player a hide a highlighter and saying that we're highlighted on everybody's schedule and 
we're going to get everybody's best shot. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to continue to get better and be our best version of 2022. You know, 2021 is over. Uh, and that's that's kind of the message. I try not to talk a whole lot about last year, except what I think championship qualities are, because, uh, you know, kids don't want to hear about that. They want to move on and, and hopefully create their own identity. Coach, I, my question, Coach, first of all, everybody, this is my nephew, and, you know, he's he's been a kind of a, a sacred cow. He's been very, very loyal to me all through my career. And, Jason, you're right. When Since he joined the staff as defense coordinator, I, our defenses have been superb every year. And, and I mean, uh, and he, he teaches, he coaches with intensity. Uh, he coaches hard. He loves hard. And I think that's the most important thing you can get out of a coach. He certainly will be well prepared. And uh, we'll talk about his staff later because I think that's important for everybody to know. But, Coach, I want everybody to know, you tell me how you balance everything. You know, not only is the head of a baseball coach and football coach, but he's also the athletic director and actually a family man of three kids. So, and 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 the lovely wife. How do you balance all this uh, in your in your uh, life and and also in school activities? Also, because I know you have school every night with some kind of function. Right, and, and I don't know that I'm doing a great job balancing it. Uh, you know, unfortunately, something does have to give, and and we were blessed to win two state titles last year, but. Uh, me personally, I know there are things that I didn't do as well uh, as a head baseball coach or even as an assistant football coach uh, prior to this year that that I had to address and get better. Uh, you know, you know, it's your family is first. You know, luckily, my wife and my kids, they don't know anything else. So uh, I've not been uh, home a ton throughout my career. I've always coached both sports. Uh, I'm not saying that that's OK, but it's something that that they're used to. and uh, you know, as I get a little bit older and I have children, I get a little bit older. It gets harder and harder to stay away from your kids. And uh, I think as long as they know, I hope they know that I love them like I love my players. Uh, and that dad's not just running around doing something uh, unproductive. He's 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 working hard and hopefully, uh, you know, those types of things can can rub off and 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 understand that, you know, we put those hours in for a purpose. Uh, you know, I, I look at coaching now more than ever as a vocation. I don't think that was something I looked ever thought it was a vocation. I looked at it as a job as a young uh, coach. Uh, but I'm very proud of what we did here in the last 20 years, being a part of what Coach Monica has done and just trying to continue the standard that's, that was set. Coach, I didn't tell all the, the public, too, how, how a heck of a baseball player you were. I never had the opportunity to coach you in football, but baseball – he was a 400 hitter. He was about three hole hitter, sometimes four hole hitter. Uh, excellent outfielder, was an infielder. And, uh, you know, so he's learned. He's, I hope that he learned a little bit uh, uh, from that, that aspect of being on both sides of the fence. Coach, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the, about the Shaw game. The way that game unfolded, I was a little concerned. But uh, all of a sudden, you guys really all of a sudden woke up a little bit. I think they, they kicked the sleeping dog and, and uh, we just kind of took control after that. What's your thoughts on that game, looking back at it? Yeah, you know, looking back, I was very pleased what we did offensively. You know, we were, we, we started a little slow. Um, you know, luckily we ran to the football. We did not tackle well. Uh, but, you know, our effort gave us a chance to keep them out of the end zone. There were some things we did exceptionally well, special teams-wise, but there's some things that just we did not do extremely well. And I, I take the blame for those. I try to, you know, do a little bit too much on our kickoff coverage, trying to keep the ball away from some of their playmakers and it, it kind of hurt us and we gave some field position. But 
I really think our offensive coordinator, Todd Monica, is he's starting to really see his uh, stamp on our offense. And, uh, you know, we're multiple. We have some playmakers. We have some guys that can, you know, play running back, play wide receiver, and they're on the field at the same time. So I've been very pleased with our, our progress as an offense, especially the last two weeks. Uh, defensively, we have some pieces. We're inexperienced in the secondary. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we continue to get better. But the Shaw game all in all, I think, you know, we were prepared. Uh, you know, we told the kids that we felt like we were kind of a barometer stick for Shaw to see where they were. They're, they're a team, a program that's that's on the rise uh, back to, to, you know, that success. And we think we're a program that's continuing to ascend. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that we, you know, made a statement about where we are and where we're headed. No question, Coach. You know, Coach Coach Terry is a great coach, and I had the opportunity to speak to him after the ball game. And, um, you know, we always said that when you play St. Charles for the first time, you really don't know what you're getting into until you see the intensity, how hard the kids play, how they line up right, your linebackers fit correctly, and things of that nature. Uh, but, you know, in the coach, coach, I know, was surprised after the ball game. Uh, everybody expected a, a close ball game, but we sort of took control. And, and uh, especially, Coach, we had a couple big momentum plays. Uh, in the ball game, the 75-yard touchdown after the fumble recovery was a big play, and 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 then all the special team things that you brought to the table. But coach, the guy that really steps that stands out and looks really good in the first two hours has been Aiden Northamon, your quarterback. He's been pretty special. Now I know his dad takes credit for being you know, athleticism, and all his four brothers do. But I really think Dana, all the genes came from Dana. Yeah, I agree. I think Dana's kind of where he gets it from, you know, but. He really has been phenomenal. I mean, he uh, he looks like a guy that led a team to the state championship a year ago. You know, and I, we saw him grow last year. He took some growing pains early in the year. Uh, and he, we saw him get better and better, especially after the Newman game. Uh, and we saw him grow, and he really played exceptional, uh, you know, in the state championship. He, he carried the ball 24 to 26 times, and he's just continued to go off of that. He wasn't happy with the way he played in the uh, scrimmage. And he's just a guy that he takes hard coaching, uh, you know, and he's willing to get on, on one another. And he's really started to hold the offense to a high standard. Uh, and our offensive coordinator has put him in good position. Uh, he throws a prettiest ball, uh, as pretty a ball as we've seen around here. Um, you know, he, he's not the tallest guy, but he has great feet. He's, he's hard to find. He's an excellent runner. He's an excellent baseball player. I mean, it's really uh, – you know, there's no negatives. The kid is just, he really has helped us. I would say besides him, Coach, you know, Devon Sturgis, you're starting to see his full skill set. Uh, you know, he's a punt returner. He's a kick returner. He's a running back. He's a wide receiver. Uh, you know, those two guys look like veterans, and, and they're why we're off to the hot start. Yeah, I agree, uh, Coach. Uh, you know, Aiden just has a, a quick release. He might be one of the better quarterbacks ever put on the Comet uniform that we've had, uh, even though he's not he's small in stature. He's actually learned to, to do the tornado drill where he spins now, and he's hard to tackle. You know, he's like a little water bug, and I just love his release, and, and he's heady, and he's intense, you know. So I think, you know, I give a lot of credit to to what you've done with him and, and Coach Ty. But, Coach, going into the next step, I wanted to ask you about your staff. I think you have an excellent staff there at, the, at St. Charles Catholic. Uh, you know, so talk a little bit about the staff that you've accumulated. Well, we're blessed. I mean, I think we have an excellent staff. I mean, I, I would put it up against anyone. It starts with a guy who's been here with me for a long time, and that's Ty Monica, uh, not only our offensive coordinator, but uh, one of my best friends and, and a, a family member and not just a great football coach, excellent 
softball and baseball coach just really brings a lot of intensity and, and an excellent teacher. You know, I mean, a, a lot of times our coaches don't get the credit they deserve in education, but an excellent teacher. And, and then Jason Brown, our defensive coordinator, who's coordinator who's done it for a ton of years, you know, and retired from public school uh, and has been with us for the last five years. This is year six and just continue to, to do an excellent job in, in what he's doing. It's his defense. I mean, I, we have a little a special dynamic. You know, I'm the head coach, but I'm actually his secondary coach when it comes to defense. Uh, and right now, I'm not doing a very good job coaching my guys, you know, and, and we talk about that. And so, uh, and then John Talley, who's not only in special teams, but he's also took over the strength and conditioning for us. Uh, he coaches the D-line, just another 30-something-year veteran of, of, of coaching. Uh you know, Tyler Forsythe, a guy who played for us, was an offensive line coach who, you know, graduated from here in 2015. He's already moved the ranks in the school. He's our dean of students. You know, it means a lot to him. You know, the, the tradition of St. Charles Catholic, he's doing an excellent job for us. Uh, a new hire in Jake Robinson, who came here from St. Stanislaus, who lives in Bay St. Louis. Uh, he goes all the way back from Ohio. He actually was on staff that coached LeBron James uh, back in Ohio. Uh, and then, you know, we newly are hiring uh, Ian Mitchell, another 2015 graduate. Uh, you know, so we have seven full-time guys, count myself. And then our CCP guys are not part-time. I mean, it starts with Noah Bork, who also played for us. He's there every single day. He's a student uh, assistant. I don't know if he's going to stick in this profession if this is what he wants to do. He surely would be an excellent coach if this is where he chooses to go. And then George McGovern, our other CCP, who's here every single day, who helps with the rush ins. Um, and then we've we've added, uh, you know, we have Ronnie Kelly, who, who handles the running backs. We've added Randy Modair, who also helps with the running backs and wide receivers. And we've added Derek Gobert, who also assists with the linebackers and the safety. So I'm on I'm on. Uh, pace to 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 have as many staff members as, as Nick Saban if I can get them to no, 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 no question about that cool. and they all can't fit, in room, can't fit in the room <laughs> no that some of those spandex pants are being tested also I noticed that and I'm 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 gonna yeah. let that that chart coach uh, I really like the fact that you, that St. Charles Catholic can play all three phases and you know it's gonna take a heck of a football team to defeat you guys unless something special happens. But, you know, out of the ordinary, you guys could play a little offense, little defense, and, and, and great special teams. And it showed up the other night. Our special team showed up. You got two two-point conversions on it. Uh, the punting game by Batucci, uh, his punting actually turned over the field one time. You had the ball on the 20, and they ended up taking that possession on the other 20, which led to the bad snap and, and then, then the, the score. So, I mean, all those things that people don't realize what goes into practice sessions. But – in order for special teams to be important, the head coach must support it. That's very, very important, and, and you guys have seen the, the, to do that. Coach, let's turn the attention a little bit to, to your upcoming opponent. It's a big rivalry game. There'll be a packed house there, uh, traditional team that has, I think they have like six or seven state championships, and Coach Dwayne Jenkins does a phenomenal job. Uh, talk a little bit about your opponent. Give us a little brief scout report on Lutcher High School. Well, you know, one luxury, like you said, a rich, rich tradition. I think Dwayne Jenkins is, uh, is a hell of a football coach. He's even a better person. I mean, he's one of one of the people I trust in this profession. He's one of the people, you know, I ask for advice. You know, a, a, as 
I've stepped in after Coach Monica retired. I, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that have done that. Uh, had to replace a legend, and I leaned, leaned on people like him and Nick Monica that have been there before. And uh, you talked about balance of AD and all that, and family. He's another guy I talked to about that. So, you know, I have a brother-in-law who's on the staff, and Chris Daigle. They have an excellent staff. They have an excellent, excellent team. I, I think the quarterback is one of the best players in the state of Louisiana. Uh, he's not only a great player, he's a he's a, a fine young man. Every time I've been around him. I've just been impressed with his leadership ability and his work ethic. Uh, they have a lot of weapons. He's not the only guy that they have. I mean, they have a multitude of backs that they use. They have a multitude of wide receivers that they use. They do a great job, uh, multiple personnel groupings. And um, and then on defense, they they mix it up. You get a little bit of odd and a little bit of even. Uh, they, they start to pressure a little bit more. Um, you know, so they're a complete football team. You know, they, they play Destrahan in the Jamboree and, uh, they weren't. They didn't flinch. I mean, Destrehan's a heck of a football team. They're gonna be in in the mix in the end, and then they really dismantled Thibodeau last week. So it's gonna take a heck of an effort for us. Uh, we're gonna have to win all three phases, or at least have a stalemate in the phase uh, here or there, and and find a way to get it to the fourth quarter and and hopefully pull off a victory. I think it's gonna be an excellent crowd. I love River Parish football. Uh, I wish we all played every single. River Pirates team that we could. I think it's an excellent opportunity to keep the money right here, to keep the, the interest and the buzz. Uh, so we're expecting it to be a phenomenal night. I have no question about that. You know that they they have rabid fans. Coach, uh, they've asked me to speak to their quarterback club tomorrow night, so I don't want to give away any secrets whatsoever. That's why I don't want, want to know too much or pry too much. But I'm going to do a, I'm gonna have to do a little line. I'll confess that on Sunday. But, but Coach, um, one thing I was always impressed with is the fact that you, you kept things alive and you, you really just worked your buns off to, to, to be successful and you deserve all the credit that, that you get. Uh, I, I must tell all the fans this, that, you know, at no time has SEC ever signed uh, a guy to a, a scholarship from, to the Southeastern Conference. Uh, we got some guys that signed at other places, but you're playing with, with guys that just hard-nosed, guys that worked extremely hard. And so it's a credit to you and your program and especially your coaches and the administration. You know, Dr. Miet and Drew Cupid, prior to her, uh, the, 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 the leeway that they gave you in terms of bringing in coaches, uh, you know, getting guys in the weight room, uh, just administrative things that, you know, that are behind the scenes. And that's so important because, I, if you know, the strong administration, everything they say, a fish always thinks from his head. So it's always important for the, the administration at the top to give you great support. And you seem to have that at this particular time. I do, Coach. And it started with you. You know, I think, uh, you know, one thing I learned from you, you had high expectations for everybody in the building, and that was including the administration. Uh, and I think you raised the bar, and, and that's what I wanted to do when I, whenever I, I, you know, came in after you retired is just to continue to try to raise the bar, have, have a five-year plan, have a 10-year plan, have some goals that may scare us, you know, and, and throw them out there. And, and we are lucky right now at St. Charles Catholic, everybody is in alignment. Uh, we're not going to sacrifice, you know, the, the character of our school to just try to win football games, you know, and, but our, our administration knows that athletics is important. You know, that our kids uh, are hard nosed kids. They lay it on the line and not just administration, our parents, our parents allow us to push our kids. I mean, and we do, we, that started obviously with you and uh, we still have a tough river parish culture. You know, it's a soft world that we live in 
And we're blessed to be able to push our kids. And I think that's why we've been able to maintain the success that we've had the last 20 years. And coach, just last word, the quarterback club and the supporters, you know, we got a couple of guys that are always around there and all the things that were built at St. Joe's basically were not built by contractors. Most of the things built, 90% of the things were built by parents and the quarterback club members and, and people like that. And, uh, and, and they like that because they feel, they feel that they have some involvement with it and, and it's part of them. And so it's a credit to you to keep things as, as, they, as they are. And I know it's going to take a heck of a, a team to defeat you guys this year. And uh, I'm sure that you're very, very proud of your staff, your players. And I can't thank you enough. And also, I'm proud of you. Uh, and, and I know your, your, your kids are also proud of you. Mom and dad, you know, Maria and Wayne are, uh, are just gushing. And also, we didn't mention Pun. You know, Pun is our nephew. And Pun is, uh, he's our statistician. He's at all the ball games. He keeps all the stats. Pun knows everything. He actually knows where Jim, Jimmy Hoffa is buried. But nobody's asking. Right. We actually listed six. Pun. We listed upon him as a coach. You know, he's on the headsets. He actually does an excellent job with uh, all the clock management stuff. You know, uh, he, he can tell you when you can take a knee, when you can't. Uh, he has the two-point chart, uh, you know, mem memorized. Uh, he likes to act like he has a little analytics in him, but, you know, he'll try to throw that in there every now and then. But, you know, it takes a village, Coach. I mean, I, I always said that. It's something well, – I was blessed. I have two phenomenal parents, but – I was raised with a bunch of aunts and uncles, you know, and every single one of them uh, and cousins, every single one of them could discipline me. And if I wasn't doing right, set me straight. And and I was so blessed in my childhood. And I, and I listened to your excerpt. You know, you did try to talk us out of coaching. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you were a huge influence in all of us getting in it. Uh, and then obviously a huge influence to me and in, in, in helping me grow, staying in one place, but growing, you know, and, yeah. Uh, the thing I miss the most is, is those times when in the off season when I, we would sit in the office and, and talk about all kind of other things, not game plans and whatnot. So, um, you know, you always still a phone call away, which I appreciate. Uh, you know, we, I want this, I, I take a lot of pride in Frank Monica Field, in my opinion, you know, I, I want to defend Frank Monica Field. I feel like, you know, I was a part of that as well, you know, and, and I want, um, there's nothing that makes me prouder than to run out that tunnel uh, and, and, and run onto that field. I appreciate that, Coach. And we won some big ball games there. I was looking at schedules in the past, and we won some real, real phenomenal nights there that led us to uh, the bigger things. And, you know, you talked about Ida, Coach. I go back even Katrina year when we played two games in a week. And then, uh, then we had the Isaac. You and I both flooded again. And, and uh, just like this year, I had Ida deal. So, but, Coach, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I know you're busy, so I'll get out. But uh, uh, we'll be there Friday, pulling hard for you. And, uh, you know, I've got two nephews on the team, Jackson and, and Brooks. So looking forward to seeing them play also throughout their career. Thank you so much, Coach. All right. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Coach Wayne Stein for taking time out of his busy schedule to come on and talk with us on the Let's Be Frank podcast. In our next segment, it's our Let's Be Frank segment where Coach is going to break down the topics that he's itching to talk about, including helmet-to-helmet contact, local college football roundup. We're going to have some football one-on-one for you and even talk to new playoff system in college football. Remember, you're tuned in to the Let's Be Frank video podcast. And we are back on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. And we would like to thank LSR for sponsoring our podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane, pure cane sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. 
Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Ross's supermarkets. And we're going to go ahead and jump right in, Coach. Again, Coach has a lot of opinions over the years that he's had and the wealth of knowledge that he's had in the world of sports. So we're going to dive into our Let's Be Frank segment. We're going to start off with helmet-to-helmet contact, which is something that is really important and near and dear to your heart because of the amount of years you've coached, especially high school football, as it pertains to this. No question, Jason. You know, it goes back a long time ago. There was no such thing as that. When I played high school football, there was no such thing as that. You hit people as hard as you can, whatever you can. I mean, if you get a sledgehammer, you can use that. I mean, but nowadays it's, it's a very, very sensitive issue. And after watching the LSU game uh, on TV the other night, you saw a very, very uh, important play in the ball game. A kid was ejected for what was known as helmet helmet contact. He actually launched himself uh, in, into, the, into the quarterback and, and led with the butt of his helmet. And that's one thing that we all know is pretty dangerous and has been flagged. And now all of a sudden it's, a, it's an ejection on the field. But, you know, let me talk, first of all, it's a very sensitive issue and it's getting more and more sensitive. And you know, as a parent, uh, you understand it. But as a player, you know, the players are quite the question, wait a minute, I coach, how do I tackle a guy? For instance, nowadays people run what they call a crossing route. It's called a shallow cross, and everybody runs these shallow cross across the middle. And if you're a linebacker and the guy catches the ball and he's headed right to you, you cannot control where he's going to put his helmet. So if you lower your head, now the coaches teach tackling, and when they teach tackling, they try to teach it, you know, put the head across the bow, or, or uh, my term was bite the bicep. In other words, you go across the bow, bite the bicep, you wrap your arms around, around the ball carrier. But if the guy lowers his head, you actually have nothing to tackle, nothing to hold on to. And if you lower your head slightly just to try to get underneath him, you're gonna, you, you, your two helmets are going to collide. And so that, and also they got what they call it in the defense, a cover two, secondary. So if a big tight end runs right down the middle and he's running right to that safety, he catches the pass, what is the safety to do? I mean, this is the safety try to tackle him high or tackle him, tackle him low. And, and, and I might add that, that it's, if you ask any athlete that ever played the game, would you rather be, tackle, be tackled up high or tackled low? Every one of them, 110%. The good Lord did not make the player yet. That's it, come tackle my legs because that can cripple you for life. But you're protected from the shoulder pads to the helmet. That helmet costs over $400 a piece. And I'm not saying that, that it just make it blatant. But so where am I leading with this? So I think that the rules themselves, and I like the fact that the instant replay allows those guys to come up, come back on the field. But what I don't like is that every time there's a big hit, even if somebody's hitting with their shoulder, every time there's a big hit on the field, it's normally flagged nowadays. And so as a, as a player, you're, they're confused. They say, wait a minute, that goes, how do I tackle this guy? So consequently, many people are doing just the opposite. They're saying, okay, I'm, if I'm in a secondary and I'm smaller than you, I'm not going to form tackle you. I'm just going to try to take your legs out and knock your legs out and, and get you down on the ground. And, um, but that's not what that ball carrier wants for sure. You know, so it's a very, very sensitive issue. Now, we've had this conversation when I worked the Manning camp. There were a number of coaches sitting around together, and this was my thought on it. My thought that, to tell the officials this, I brought this up a couple of times at, at the two various officials in some of the meetings when I was coaching, is that I think if the, de- if the defender is bringing my arms into the tackle, if I'm not trying to hurt the guy, if I'm bringing my arms, I'm just trying to wrap him up. If I'm bringing my arms, if I'm not bringing my arms behind and I'm leaving, and I'm leaving the ground and I'm torpedoing the guy and spearing him with my head, 
I can understand that. That deserves a penalty, and that's certainly not healthy. Not healthy for either one because they could injure their neck also. So, uh, they, so we talked about it as consensus. Yes, if if you can just see the arms coming into the tackle, and I saw a game on Saturday watching the East Carolina, North Carolina State, and they threw a flag. And at first, when they looked at it, that's exactly what the defender was doing. He was bringing his arms into the tackle. But sometimes uh, th- those things are not easily seen on the field. Uh, you know, at the, at the same pace. If you look on tape, you can. Okay. Now there is a difference. And in high school, they have what they call the blindside block. That means if a runner's going north and you're going south, you can't backtrack and and actually hit someone. I understand that. Uh, I understand that because that could really injure someone. Now, but let's face it, football is is a physical football game. But you got to remember, they're well padded. Those shoulder pads are, are three hundred dollars. Shoulder pads that a helmet's another four or five hundred dollars. Uh, they have thigh pads, and they even have the oversized thigh pads for, for people. And I'm not saying the injuries are not going to occur, but when it comes to the helmet help contact, uh, people are a little bit more sensitive to it. And I, I just think that the smaller players are a little bit – the smaller players are a little bit at a disadvantage. So what they're going to do to the bigger players, rather than even try to form tackle like the coaches taught him, he's going to try to just take, take the guy's legs. So now coaches work real, real hard in practice to stay up. In fact, the days of heavy scrimmaging, uh, heavy contact in practice, uh, those days are basically gone. You know, that uh, you don't see coaches. that They might tackle, but when they tackle now, they don't take them to the ground. Uh, for instance, if you watch a lot of schools in practice, no, nobody falls on the ground unless it's by mistake, unless they trip or something. But no one falls to the ground. So coaches have done a, a better job of taking care of themselves because the old adage, if I lose a player to injury, I don't, I don't want to be at practice. I want to be in a game. And uh, but the the helmet helmet thing is really something that's been overemphasized, and and sometimes uh, now when you see a big hit, everybody calls for a flag, and it might be a perfectly good hit with the shoulder, and and I get that. But yet on the flip side of it, one thing you you, you have to be careful of when you're teaching tackling, you tell kids don't lower your eyes, don't lower your eyes. It's important that you don't lower your eyes. But yet when the you see a ball carrier that's coming and he lowers his head, you have no control where his head is going to be. And so a lot of guys, some of the things are flagrant, and you can, it's very, very obvious. But there are things out there that's very, very questionable. And the, the, so the players are confused. Exactly. Wait a minute, coach. How would I tackle this guy? So all in all, my, my point of being here, we want the game to be safe. Everybody wants to be, be safe because coaches want their players, the same ones that lined up week one, they want them week 10. And so the coaches do a good job of teaching that. But at the spur of the moment, you don't know when that, that, that action is going to take place and the player's going to lower his head, and all of a sudden you, you have a helmet to have contact. And I might add this. If you really look hard, I, I would, the one thing I don't understand, there's helmet to helmet contact in a line of scrimmage every snap. You're not going to block. You're not going to block a line of scrimmage without having a helmet to helmet contact with the offensive line and the defensive line. So the, some of this, what I'm saying that, that, that what I'm saying to you is an oxymoron because that happens a lot on the football field. Coach, one question. You were discussing how the game is impacted by this play, uh, the helmet-to-helmet contact. In the college game, we know they've made an extreme emphasis on throwing flags and instant replay, making sure they get the call correct. Hmm. What do you feel about the penalty when the flag is thrown? Do you think a full game is overly severe or the right amount of penalty or or is it the circumstances that matter? How would you agree with the rules as they are or would you tweak them in any way? I, th- I think it's a little severe. I think the penalty is sufficient. 
I think, because, you know, once you tell it got last, like for instance, watching the LSU ball game with that, with that player did was uncalled for at that particular moment. And now the other thing you have to understand is where exactly could he fit? Is, is, is there a lineman right here? Where could he fit in this thing? Did he really do that intentionally um, at, at the time? Did he leave his feet? Yes, yes, he did in that particular case. But I think the penalty, wait a minute, give another guy another chance to, to sit him on the bench uh, for something that he made a mistake. He, they all understand that uh, once they do that. Coaches emphasize that. They teach them that in practice. Uh, he made a mistake in the game, and in the heat of the moment, he forgot himself. Uh, got himself. And so, but I really think that, that Jason, your point, uh, being too severe and uh, benching that guy for the whole game, I mean, that's hard. Give him the penalty. You've already penalized the team and you, you, enough. And it's a it's a contact sport. I mean, this 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 it's not dancing. When you say uh, no, I, like one guy told me, he said that um, football is not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. Dancing is a contact sport. So the bottom line, if you're going to play the game, you have to understand that's that's part of the game. So what you're saying is, I want to, just for clarification, the penalty is sufficient. What happens if it's a second time? Do you think no, then no. it goes to a half or a full game? Now, now I think, now you're talking, I think that now, okay, I've gave you a warning. Uh, we penalized you one time. The second time you're out of the ball game because you have to understand that. And, and at least it, it gives a guy a chance to come back in the game. And, and uh, because those guys have worked extremely hard to get ready for a season. And, and, but to be sitting there, it's like being injured, to be sitting there and watch your teammates. And they feel, that guy feels, you know, uh, uh, like he's, he's done something wrong, that he's let down his football team. And he's been ostracized for something that he was just playing good, hard-nosed football. And I don't, I don't think he intended to hurt anyone. But, uh, you know, it, it, that, that's the way the game is. It's an intense game. People don't understand that. Um, when you go into the locker room prior to a ball game and you hear those, those cleats and uh, scratching on the floor and, and people banging on the locker, they don't understand how intense the game football is. And it has to be or you yourself will get hurt. And, Coach, we're going to go ahead and change gears to local college football wrap-up, a lot of local games that have occurred over this past weekend. One in particular we're going to save for last. I think that's pretty obvious which one we're discussing. Uh, but going down the list, the first game, uh, Nichols losing to Southern Alabama 48-7. to Tough task to go play a, a, an FBS opponent and win. Uh, again, it's still early on in the season. Nichols has some time to recover and, and gain from this, and I expect they will. They are a very well-coached football team, and they definitely have some of that talent, especially from that River Parish area. No question. The coach Rebo will get him going. He has a fine staff. He has a couple of white players that I coach that's on that, that football team. We're pulling extremely hard for him. Little old man, they're playing a D1 school. South Alabama's really built up their program. You know, Alabama high school football is really, really good. So now being in Mobile, they actually have a great city to recruit to. So, I mean, they've upgraded their talent level an awful lot. Um, uh, and, and, and when they get in their class, they'll be fine. In their, and uh, you look for them to make a run like they do every year. I'm sure that Coach Rebo, you know, he's been penalized a little bit by some of the guys getting that transfer portal, and uh, which I don't think it's fair because, you know, here's a kid that can go to his school that's a real good player. Then all of a sudden people in the voices are telling go to another school. You need to be playing at a bigger school, and he loses them. So he becomes – they become almost like like free agents again, and uh, so he might have recruited this guy, built him up to make a, a good player, and then all of a sudden he's playing for someone else. So that's a, being on that level is, is is awfully tough, and to win, and and um, uh, also you can get some fallback guys every now and then. But now with the way the rules are, 
people are not falling back to that level. They're staying on the D1 level. Looking at another game, you have Louisiana beating Southeastern 24-7. Two local colleges playing against one another. New leadership at Louisiana. Finding a way to win game one. We just discussed in the last, with that last matchup. You have a team that's at the FCS level playing up. 24-7 is a respectable outcome for that ball club. But also we're seeing Louisiana try to build towards the future now that we've seen Napier leave for greener pastures in the swamp. You know, I think everybody was pulling for Coach Desimo to get that job and because he's a local guy, and, and that's very, very important. And he, he really played there. He, he enjoys the community, still lives there. And um, I, I really think that he's probably going to keep the legacy going there after Coach Napier leaves. Uh, Coach Frank Selfo is a, is a guy that is one time on my staff, and also we coached together. Uh, he's on my staff at Jesuit, and we coached together at Tulane. And a uh, heck of a coach and, and really got that program going on. And the next level, they, they'll be highly ranked, and they have a heck of a quarterback. And for what I understand, that game, I did not see it, but that game was a lot closer than the score indicated. And I can believe that, too. Southeastern has been com- very competitive at the FCS level, and we'll see them continue to be so this season. Tulane defeated UMass 42-10, to which is an expected result. But one thing that I, I think we can all agree on is that you know, the coaching direction that they're going in has been a positive thing. Last year was a bit of a backstep, but that's not the norm. I think no. also when you when you talk about the hurricane, the impact that that may have had on their season, these players, plus going out week one, nearly pulling off the upset against Oklahoma. Coach, what does that do to a team when you lose that type of game? Again, it can either flip you one of two ways. It can either elevate you to move to the next level or it can be a demoralizing loss. And I think it – it kind of went against them last year, but getting this week one game to get their feet underneath them, I think that'll be a very positive thing for this Green Wave team moving forward this season. Well, everybody forgets that, you know, they, they lead off with Oklahoma first, and that was that was supposed to be in, at Birmingham at one time. That's where they were staying. It had been a lot easier, but it was moved to Norman, and that, that played right into the, 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 the teeth of the alligator right. there. And then right. uh, then they, they come back and they play Ole Miss, and, and they're still in, in, in Birmingham. So they're not sleeping in their own bed, and uh, the, their schedules are different. They're just—I mean, it's, it's totally, totally hard to do that. This year, they got an opportunity to be normal, and uh, and it showed the other night. They played, I think, a competitive UMass team that was big and physical up front. They ran the ball an awful lot. They didn't throw many passes. They ran a lot of quarterback runs. Uh, and Tulane had lost his big free little kid um, in, in the center, so he didn't play that night uh, as, as the nose guard. So I think they took advantage. You may have took advantage of it. I'm very, very impressed with the running back. You know, I, I think the running back at Tulane is Pierce is about as fine as anybody in the state. He scored a number of times. He kind of rested at the end of the ball game. Um, the, the Pratt kid is a, is a quality quarterback. Uh, early in the ball game, they weren't in sync on offense. You can tell that. But all of a sudden, in the third, fourth quarter, I think they opened up things just a little bit, and they started to get a variety in their offense a little bit more and got a little distance on UMass and made them – basically one-dimensional. So uh, Coach Fritz is an excellent football coach. Um, uh, you know, he doesn't – he's not blessed with the wealth of talent that, that you see running around the SEC, but he gets the most out of his players and is always very, very good in special teams. And uh, that's a, that's something that he and I kind of share together along with Coach Greg McMahon. We're all uh, friends, and and uh, over the years we, we talked to uh, special teams with one another. Uh, and I th- really think – you know, the Vegas has them not winning more than five and a half games. 
And I said, I think that's the best bet on the board. And, of course, the last game, which we're going to discuss, is LSU losing to Florida State 24-23 in what I think you would describe as very um, poor special teams play to, to wrap that game up. And I, I got the chance to go to the game with my family. Coach, before the game started, the band comes out on the field and, you know, they're, they're pumping up the crowd and he drops his baton. And I've been going to LSU games every week since I was six years old. And I lean over to my brother and I said, that might be a bad sign of what's about to come. And sure enough, LSU was outgunned, outmanned in every way, shape, and form. Offense, defense, special teams were fortunate enough to be at the end of that game. Very fortunate to be even close to the end of the game. And special teams came into play and they were not able to execute. Yeah, I tell you, I felt badly for Coach Kelly. He inherited a very depleted roster. The first thing that jumped out at me, number one, they didn't play well in any phase. They were outplayed in offense, defense. The third down conversion rate was was off the charts of sixty seven percent in the first ball game. I mean, that's that's tough. That's the number one thing you you preach to your defense is get off the field in third down. But they were outplayed in, in every phase. But the one thing that that jumped out at me, they had LSU has very little speed. And I'm, where's the speed? They, they, they don't have that speed in the backfield. Their, their receivers look very, very average. And even though we heard all the talk about, about how good their receivers are going to be in that receiving core, but Florida State was a faster team than they were. So but now they don't have it yet. I think Coach Kelly's going to get it there. Uh, I really enjoyed his post-game comments. I think, you know, he, he was very, very honest. And uh, I, you know, he was not pleased with their execution. And you can see that. Uh, the offensive line and, and everybody said, well, the Daniel kid scrambles too much or whatever. There were times that he, he could have looked up the field and thrown to his uh, open receiver. There were times that, but he was actually running for his life a little bit. And I, I think that's why they went to him, knowing that he'd have to scramble just a little bit more. But from the from that standpoint, the defense, this heralded front four, I didn't see it. I understand the kid gets hurt. So the best player gets hurt. Uh, we, we saw it happen, but they didn't stop him. I mean, they were always inside the change. As an offensive coach, you always want to be first. You want to be second and four, second and two. That's great. And it was that all night long. They were and the, and the third down conversions, third and five, third and eight. It didn't matter. The quarterback eleven of was, seventeen, was, coach. They were eleven of seventeen on third down yeah. conversions. The quarterback was excellent. I mean, one time he jumps up in the air to make the pass on. And they tried the blitzing technique against him, but it all goes back to players. They just don't have the players yet. And I'm, I'm sorry for to saying this, but I, they're going to struggle uh, until they, they, they get some of those new kids in there. It might take a year or two for them to take place. But but uh, for what I saw last night, Florida State is not a bad football team now. Uh, Coach right. Norville has got some skins on the wall. And um, I was really, really disappointed, though, and the way the game ended. And I think everybody was because when you can't teach an up back to block that gap, you can't teach that up back. Now, the one thing I don't know, and no one brought this up, the 1.2 is your snap, hold, kick, get off time. I don't know if he got it off. And at 1.2, it looked a little slow to me. I couldn't tell because of the camera. I, normally it's that seven yards, sometimes it's that eight, depending on the coach and the, the protection of the cup. You try to keep the integrity of the cup. And uh, we'll talk about that later on. The ultimate thing that you do, you, you create a cup, meaning that you, your guard's a little deeper, your tackle's a little deeper, then your tight end's a little deeper than the wingback. So you basically have like an arch 
that it, that it, in, in the, the kicker in the holder inside that arch. So I don't know what the get off time was. I, I do know I do know this when uh, Coach McMahon, because he and I talked an awful lot when he was at LSU, and because uh, I coached his son at St. Charles County, we talked special teams an awful lot. I think it was one of the best in the country, and and we all talked about the wingbacks and what they do. Well, at that particular time, now you know when you say a PAT, and everybody say, well, "Why don't you go for two? Uh, but this is a PAT. You know, that's the time when everybody okay. That's kind of automatic. That's when everybody goes to the bathroom and pees, or that's when everybody goes to the concession stand and takes gets a, a another Bud Light. You know, because they think it's automatic. But then all of a sudden, the guy he didn't he had it blocked. It was it, it, you know, a lot of times the block comes from the middle, what they call the apex. In other words, what's the apex, coach? Apex is where the ball is going to cross right through the uprights. So that's where you put your taller guys. They push and they jump. They jump up in case the kick is low. Now most kickers get the ball up. But it all depends on that get-off time. I would love to know what his get-off time was. You can if you see it on real time, and you can put a clock on it. I think, you know, and that's with a good snapper. So sometimes you can even 1.1. But anything over 1.2, it will be blocked, even against a bad football team. So going back to the whole deal, I think speed was very evident. And, and, and they talked about the receiver. He didn't run away from the cornerback. He didn't run away from him at all. In fact, I, I, I was surprised at that. And he looked like the quarterback just smothered him and shut him down. So I know he didn't catch many passes, and maybe that's to blame for a lot of a lot of things there. But but uh, I was not impressed with the lack of speed that they put on the field. And again, I remember only 36 guys played in the bowl game, uh, that scholarship guy played in that bowl game uh, just last December. So I remember that. So he has a long way to go with that roster. Yeah, I, I would agree, but also – I. Eleven of seventeen, coach on third down. There's, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. And the main issue I have is you're out there running cover zero, cover one, showing blitz. You, they, they didn't show blitz and back out of it many times, if at all. And the same routes were open. You're running cover zero, cover one, trying to get pressure on the quarterback. It's not there, and when it is, you're not tackling, shoulder tackling, not wrapping up, not finishing tackles. That's not the way you play football in, at, at that level. So those types of mistakes, not just on the players, but the coaching. You see the underneath roster, what they're hitting, slants, curls, hitches, and you're making no attempt to adjust. That's, a, that's an issue. You have to Jason, find a way to, to realize what your personnel is and you know, make an adjustment. And I don't think they did that, especially on third down when they're going five wide. I got I to say this. As far as the punt returner, and the, the punt returner himself, I don't know the, the kid. Um, but as you know, it's hard to find. You go on every team of 85 scholarship guys. You can't find three. I don't care who they are. You can't find three guys that can field punts nowadays. I mean, you can find a number of them that can do the kickoffs. But they don't want to do the punt thing. The ball is different up there in the air. It spirals. The nose is up. It's going to carry. The nose is uh, or, or fall straight down. All right, Knuckles, in that particular case, there were two rugby punts. They weren't extremely high, but it's all about the technique. Now, what he does, and what I always taught my player, one, you keep your elbows higher. You can your hands, put your hands above your eyes, your hands above your eyes, and put your elbows higher and keep your elbows together. But when you stoop and bend down, go look at the film. The elbows separate, and it goes right through the so-called bread basket. So it's a fundamental technique thing. And I know the coaches coach that. You can't control it in the heat of the battle. 
But many guys cannot do that. For years, LSU did not have a, a great return guy. I remember Coach McMahon telling me way back when, I just want a guy that can catch it. His return yards is dismal. In fact, in the end, the average return yards is 7.8. So you're not going to get great return. That's average in the NFL. So my point is all the technique thing with the kid. I feel, I feel badly for him uh, because when you see a guy bend down and stoop like that, as you know, he doesn't have confidence in his hands in catching punts. So that was a, to me, that was a, that was a coaching, um, a coaching deal that can be corrected. So, I mean, and I'm sure that they know that. I mean, I'm not the only one that knows that, that teaches that. So, again, I would say hands up, hands up, even with your eyes and your elbows tight and your elbows higher than when he hit him. Go back and look at the tape. You can see his elbows completely down by his hips. So that all of a sudden the ball has a lot of room to go through. The problem I have with kicking the PAT at that point. So the first thing is one thing I've learned from you covering, watching, playing for you is no special teams play is a given. And if a team makes a mistake earlier in the game, it's because of an exposed weakness. I watched your team play against a Madison prep team that was extremely talented, as we talked about earlier. Malcolm Roach, a very athletic ball player, was on that ball club that you played against. And your team kicks two field goals, you score a touchdown. Madison prep scored a touchdown earlier in the game. Your team blocks the PAT. Your team leads 13 to to six at that time. And later on in the game, I think there was like about two minutes left. Madison prep scores. Not there. We're waiting for the, the extra point. And I'm thinking to myself, I know if they go out there with the field goal unit, your, their PAT is going to be blocked because you clearly have exposed the weakness of theirs. Sure enough, they send out the PAT unit and I could have all but told you what was going to happen. And I did. I, I had a radio broadcast for that game. I said it was going to be blocked. Your team wins 13 to 12. And it's the same sense that I have here. So you already have a blocked field goal in this game, which means you have an exposed weakness. Your team has no business being in this game at this point. You drove 99 yards down the field because the other team decided to pitch the ball on the one-yard line. So you're in a position that shouldn't happen. Not to mention, you, you get down inside, the other team gives you a timeout when you have to snap the ball with one second left. And now you have to come to you, – you somehow score a touchdown. Well, you have the chance to end the game on your terms. With the new rules of overtime, you now have the option to go to two-point shootout, and there's so much wishy-washy. It's basically luck. Do I call the right play at the right time? It's not even a sustained series or even 25 yards worth. It's, one, it's down to one play. Well, with time expired, with the score down one point, it is, and it is that situation. The only difference is you have the chance to end the game on your terms. And I know there's other teams that did it and failed, but at least they gave themselves an opportunity to be successful. The okay, play me, that Appalachian State that had was perfect. Right. Was that let, me let me take my, my take on this. As a coach, everybody works on two-point plays, and there are several, especially now with the, the way the playoff is. They, they go to, after the third when they go to the play the two-point play shootout. But I've always felt, and I lost the ball game when I was at Luster years ago. I went for two because I didn't feel like we can stop the team. But after thinking about it, and we didn't make it, and I had a, we had a two-point play nobody had ever seen before, and, but it, it didn't, we didn't execute it. In fact, uh, let me tell you what happened. They had 10 men on the field. They sent in a guy late 
and he didn't know where to line up. He lined up right in the formation to the weak side. We were supposed to be on the strong side where we were, and we ran to the weak side. He ended up making the play. My point being is this. I believe in letting all 22 players play. In other words, I want my offense to play and my defense. I'm not going to put that just on the offense. I want If we're going to lose the ball game, I want my defense to have a hand in it. So I'm not just going to put back everything on one play because one could be a bad throw. Somebody could drop a pass. Could be a sack. Could be a lot of things that could take place in one play. So you're putting you're putting everything on one play. I want my defense to get a chance to play out there. They might cause a turnover, uh, something like that. They might stop them, and then we know exactly where we are. So I've changed my philosophy on that at one time. And, but and we discussed this as a as a staff. We have a coaching meeting before every ball game. We would always discuss, okay, guys, overtime, uh, what are we doing? Are we going for two or we, 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 we let the defense? And, and, and almost every coach said, hey, let's let the defense play also because we might have a chance to stop these people. So my take is let's let all 22 get part of it and not just to base the whole game. I've just played, I've just played for 60 minutes, and I want to make sure that I get all 22 a chance in this thing and not just one guy that becomes the – that one guy becomes a scoundrel in this thing, whether it's the quarterback, the running back, offensive line. No, but you get a chance to play defense. You have nothing to say if we don't win the football game. So that's my take on it, Jason. Let's let everybody play and be a part of this thing. Because Look, two-point plays from where they are, it's hard. It's not, it's not as easy as it looks. As many as you see successful, you will see twice as many unsuccessful. I mean, we definitely saw that happen this weekend as well. As we mentioned, uh, with the Appalachian State play, perfect – I mean, well, perfect play call just mm-hmm. not executed as well as they could have, and that could have meant a lot of uh, alleviation at the end of that game. Let's go ahead and look at uh, – or discuss, I should say, the new 12-team playoff. Coach, are you in favor of the new 12-team playoff and, you know, the, the way it's going to be set up? Oh, Jason, I love it. I love it. I've been a proponent of that for a long time. There have been, been a couple of articles written by sports writers about sports. I've always been a proponent. The other division used to do 16 teams. I thought it was phenomenal because now you reward a team for playing in a tough schedule, a tough conference. Uh, so uh, I understand that this, this sixth automatic team, but my goodness, if you stump your toe and you get beat, if you go into Alabama and they beat you, you go to Ohio State and they beat you and only have one loss, you're still a pretty good football team. You know, so you have, should have an opportunity, especially if you have an injury early in the year. Well, I get a, another player back. It makes me a better football team. And, uh, and we start getting on the roll. I think you need to be rewarded for that. Listen, this thing will dwarf the Super Bowl. It will be bigger than the Super Bowl. That, that you can, I always thought you could incorporate it with eight teams and make every uh, four bowl games and then go to two bowl games, then the, the big game. So I think in every one of those is the bowl game. This is the sugar. This is the orange, whatever they are. But I think it's an excellent idea. I'm telling you, it's going to have more interest there because right now, for instance, when you get in high school football, we generally have something called the power ranking system. I get coaches, I had coaches called from out of state want to know how we did that. They thought it was a phenomenal idea to have a power ranking system within our state. And, and when you get in the playoffs, man, you, you, we lived. I know in high school when I was at St. Charles and Lutcher, the judge, you lived to go in the playoffs as a, as a, as a um, high school coach. And that's what you work for. So this will give somebody an opportunity to play. And listen, 12 is going to be hard to decipher, but I don't care. In basketball, what's more exciting than the Barts of Madness? They have 64 teams. 
But it, 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 who makes it? Teams that you never heard of before. But they, they can go back the next year in the offseason and say, hey, we made it to the playoffs. They recruit off of that. They recruit and say, man, listen, we made it to we made it to the Big 12 playoff, whatever they're going to call it, and say, so I'm going to recruit off of that, and I'm going to make a pile of money. And also, uh, you're going to come to a winning program that's probably going to help at NIL stuff. Uh, also, so I'm a big proponent of it. I will tell you this, Nathan, people don't know this. I was assistant coach at Tulane, and I was on the assistant coach committee in the NCAA and went to a couple of meetings. And there were two really renowned coaches in the room, and they were talking about playoffs back then. And they both stood up and said, no, it was too, the, the season is too long. It puts too much pressure on the head coaches to win. I remember them standing up and saying that. And, and I said, wait a minute now. There's pressure to win anyway, too. And it's not long because if you look, the kids are off of school and they're off of school at time when those playoffs are going on. So I love the, the whole concept of it, the idea. You watch and see how big this thing is going to become. I agree with the expansion. I think that is way overdue and it's been in talks for so long. The one problem I have, and I, I'm not sure what, what number you settle on. So I think that's I think that's what a lot of people where a lot of people are. They're fine with the playoff, it's, it's the number. Um, that they're concerned about. I think eight is fine, and I even think 16 is fine. When you get to 12, you then have buys. Now, a lot of people would make the argument, and rightfully so, well, don't those teams deserve a buy? And I agree. If you are the best teams in the country, you deserve a buy. However, in the current system that is going on, where a committee of 12 people are making the choice on which teams play where and who and who gets buys when they are athletic directors, their bottom line, their dollar signs, their finances are funded by this product that they're putting on the field. When Ohio State loses one game to Penn State, who has two losses, and Penn State goes 11-2 and two, and Ohio State goes 11-1, and one, who's going to get the buy? And that's if, if the Ohio State athletic director is on the committee. Who's getting that by? Because they claim you can't talk about those teams when they leave the room, but you can certainly dog those other teams while they're while you are in the room. Yeah, so I think, for me, I think, I think, I think that's the concern far. I have. I think that's taking a little too far. I give these guys credit. I, the, the committee will be uh, – I'm sure there will be some bias in there, but, uh, you know, everybody will know. There'll be a lot of pressure from the public about who belongs there, who doesn't. And um, put it this way, if you get 12 teams, uh, it could be a controversy about, well, you should make it 14. But 14, the same thing. Even in, in the NCAA tournament, they always talk about these teams on the bubble that don't make it. That's talk shows that last for weeks. They say, well, so-and-so should have made it. They were on the bubble, and this team came from a tough conference. You have to reward people for playing good competition. I mean, uh, 11-0 team that plays nobody. And, I mean, that's where that power ranking comes in. The LHSA found that out, and I think the high school coaches ought to be commended for the system they came up with because now you get rewarded for playing a tough schedule. It happened to us just a couple of years ago, my last year, at St. Charles. I mean, we, we had a loss in our schedule, and we had a higher ranking than, than the team that was undefeated because we played better people. I mean, uh, so I think it's a phenomenal deal. Uh, I can't wait for it to take place. I wish it started this year, which was effective for this year. But unfortunately, it's not. As far as the money is concerned, it's out there anyway. I mean, we got coaches right. making that, that kind of salary. I mean, uh, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. You can buy a small country for some of the salaries that some of these guys are making. 
and apparently the rumor is it has, it's going to be possibly 2026. I believe it can come up by 2024, which would mean they would net about a half a billion. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, a half a right. billion dollars more if they move it up to 2024. My gut tells me they'll go ahead and move that up just a bit and make sure it's in place as soon as possible. Now right. we're going to go ahead and change gears, Coach, to our next segment, where, again, we're going to look at Coach's wealth of knowledge in this Football 101 segment where we're going to go ahead and discuss prevent defense for this week. Coach, prevent defense is a very hot-button topic that many people talk about, where you're at the end of a game and people say, well, they shouldn't have been in prevent defense or prevent defense loses all these games. Can you first of all clarify what is prevent defense, what is the purpose, and when to use it? Well, you saw it last night come into play when Florida State got in it, and Florida State had those guys deep. Prevent defense is like people say, yes, prevent prevention from winning. Well, but, but the bottom line is it's very controversial. Well, number one, suppose you, you blitz everybody and you're playing man coverage on the outside and that great receiver, just he just out-athletes you and, and you, you throw an 80-yard touchdown pass. You would look like a fool as the coach said, wait a minute now. Why didn't he get help over the top? Why wasn't somebody banging him at the line of scrimmage? Why do you have a free release? So prevent defense is the whole purpose of it is to keep the ball in front. Now, from the offensive standpoint, their job is, one, complete the pass, keep, save your time out as long as you possibly can, uh, complete the pass, go out of bounds whenever you possibly can. Uh, and one thing happened last night, they LSU's last drive, never take a sack. Well, they took a sack in the last drive. The defense is taught to keep you in bounds, but keep the ball in front of you. And a lot of them, what they do, they'll back up three deep, or maybe four deep guys, and they might be 50 yards deep, so nobody can get behind them, so they're moving forward. Then there's another level of guys, and then there's the rusher. So they, they, you have three different levels there. And what the offense tries to do to counter that, they'll put taller guys in there. And there's a system they call the Big Ben play. They practice this every week, the Big Ben play, and there's several ways to do it. Sometimes the quarterback is taught to roll out of the pocket, buys him more time to throw the ball high and throw as far as he possibly can. Now, if this cannot be done, from their own 20-yard line. So it has to be done somewhere around midfield or, or better, and they throw the ball as high as they can. The way the offense tries to orchestrate it is that they'll take the tallest guy and they put him in the middle, and he becomes the center pole, so to speak. He goes up to try to bat the ball either up or back. And then you do like a, so, sort of a, a starfish approach. and the, They'll have a guy in front, receiver in front, and they're receiving the back. So you practice this, Sophie. The ball goes behind. There's a guy behind him. Or the ball goes in front. There's a guy in front of it. If the, if everything goes according to plan, that's now the defense. What they try to do, they try to either shut the guy to the line of scrimmage, different levels, or they'll put the taller people in the middle and try to bat the ball down and not try to catch it. We had a system when I was coaching, and we we gave it a name. Whether you want to call it the Wildcat, you want to call it something. When you put your best players. You put your fastest guys, even if they're offensive guys and the tallest guys, you would put them, and sometimes you would do what's called a picket fence technique, and you line them up on the goal line, okay? And uh, they would they would jump up, and they would talk to bat the ball down. Don't try to catch it. Whatever you do, bat the ball down as much as, as, as all possible, or just bat it away. But you got to be careful. You bat it away, you could actually bat it to the, another another receiver, and you'd lose the ball game. So prevent defense is to try, one, keep the ball in front of you, and uh, tackle them in bounds. Uh, don't and, uh, and and try not to give up the big play and, um, and let the guy drive down the field. But it's basically used in situations where they need a touchdown. And so now some people have a play 
that they use if they have two time if they if they're two plays that they can call before the last play they'll have one and they'll call it like a deep out route or they'll call it a deep crossing route catch it they'll catch the ball and try to spike it and then get a little bit closer for for the so if you if you're too far from the goal line that would prevent that the prevent defense comes in then all of a sudden your offense is taught to throw one short and then next time spike it and throw another one to reach the end zone. But prevent defense has been highly controversial for a long, long time. Many, many people. How many games you've seen LSU versus Kentucky? Uh, not long ago. But uh, how can you fault a coach for saying, wait a minute, go bracket the end zone and bat the ball down? Now, for everyone you see, uh, and there have been some great games. Doug Flutie, you know, he, he made a career out of that. But, uh, and, but for everyone you see, there many, many times that prevent does, does work. And, uh, and like I said, uh, let me go back to the, the coaching aspect of it. What you try to do, you might get two rushes, maybe three rushes, and they rush very wide to keep the quarterback in the pocket. They, 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 they won't get a sack because everybody else is protecting. You would have at least seven guys up there protecting, maybe six. So the rest of them, there's another mid-level in case they try to run something like a screen pass. That could really scare you because there's a lot of grass out there. And then the, the last thing is that other level is probably the tallest players on the, on the team. Uh, you know, it could be receivers or anybody else on the team, and they're taught to bat the ball down. So, but as a whole, uh, I, I think for the most part, it's more successful than 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 uh, than failing at the end of a ball game or at the end of a half. And that's football one hundred and one from coach, kind of giving us an idea on what prevent defense is and why it matters. We're going to go ahead and go ahead and get a, a question from the fans as we're going to go ahead and join our next segment, Blitz the Ball Coach, where we get a chance to hear – we get a chance for you to take your shot at head coach Frank Monica, any question you want to ask him. And this question comes from Anthony Macaluso, and it's in light of the LSU game. Can coach discuss why special teams are important? Well, guys, you saw it take place. You know, it's 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 a twenty percent of the game. Sometimes it's twenty five, depending on how many times that that you punt. One thing that's important: one, the head coach must buy into supporting it. Um, years ago, you didn't have special team coordinators. Now, those special team coordinators are paid just as much as the offensive and defensive coordinators, and they're taught and they they take guys from all all, all the the different parts of the the football team. In other words, you'll take some defensive linemen. And at, at my school, what I did when I was a coach, everything stopped when we went special teams. And it's called K-Peers. So those kicking periods mean that everything stops. So there's no grab-assing, excuse my expression, on the sideline. Everybody gets involved with it. Even as a big old lineman that's not involved in special teams, he can hold a shield or hold a dummy for the guys participating in it. And the, all the assistant coaches must buy in. Um, there, must, there must be a lot of tape work, cut-ups, and stuff. And the kids, when we went to camp every year, went to camp, we spent an hour on each phase in special teams all night. And they learned all the terminology about what it was going on. So one night we would take punt team and then punt return. And we took the terminology and went through all the scheme. It wasn't the scheme. It was the drills that went with it, with the philosophy. So when we got on the field, like for instance, when you do punt return, we had different stations. So one group would go here, one group would get like a triangle and what we call the, the county fair concept, and they would work on that. When it came to kickoff return, everybody was there. And kickoff return, one of the hardest things uh, actually to work on and kickoff because it's the whole field. 
And um, so I think the emphasis must be, one, by the head coach. Two, it must be a lot of drill work, not just to do the scheme on the board, but do a lot of drill work. Many, many coaches do not, especially in high school. They go out the day before the ball game, and they'll work on their special team. And it shows the snapping, the hold, the execution of it. And, I mean, uh, uh, just for instance, we used to teach the coach. I saw it in the LSU game uh, the other night. Uh, you know, one thing that I've always taught, you ask our kids, I asked them on the sideline that they say, guys, when a ball hits the ground on a punt, what's the average roll? And every one of them, and there was seven guys, and some of them played 10 years ago, every one of them said, coach, 17 yards. That's the average roll when the ball hits the ground, and they know that. That's why you want the punt returner to field the ball. You want him to field the ball so you save that 17 yards, and sometimes it's more. So that's that's two first downs, so to speak. So the emphasis on special teams is so important, especially when you make the whole team buy in it, and, 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 and you watch tape on it with the whole team. Because, unfortunately, a lot of schools, they don't do that. Just the, the 11 guys on special teams or 22 might be, they might be the only ones working and everybody else is on the side doing something else. No, that's not the way you have to emphasize it. And as I said before, that head coach must give that guy time on the field to practice it. Because I've been the, the special team coordinator on a, on a major college level. And if that coach did not give you time to practice, he expects execution. It's like punt team. As soon as the punt team gets a, the punt blocked, everybody looks at the special team coach. And But yet, he might have had people in there that were second teamers. Uh, that's the second thing I wanted to mention to you. Anthony, you're exactly right. Make sure you put your best players on it. Don't just put any slappy on it just to get a letter. That's not the ob- object of it. It's a, it's, a, it's a play. A special team is a play, and it's hard because you're involved in the whole field, the whole team. And I've seen so many games, even this weekend, won and lost because of special team. I mean, again, I bring up the LSU ball game. Two muff punts, a blocked field goal, a blocked PAT, which is, which is very, very simple. A wing back that didn't know what he was doing on, on, on the outside. I mean, you can teach that in two seconds about what he's supposed to do with that, te- with that technique. So that's a technique thing. Uh, as far as the kick and the kickers, you don't know how good they be. That's all on them. You don't know how good they're going to be. But when it comes to your scheme and your team, that's something that, that's coaching. And that, that comes from the coach. And, and again, um, I can't emphasize that enough. It, it also really, really big. It helps you with what's with called drive start average. Drive start average means where's the team taking the ball from? It, is, it all starts with the kickoff. If you kick them deep and they got a punt, you, you got a short field compared to a long field. And uh, the old adage, if you got to go 80 yards, your chances you scored are 30 to 1. So the, the bottom line here is that if, if the special teams are all about field position and they're all about maybe game break, you can have a big punt return, kickoff return. The most electric playing football is a, is a big kickoff return. And, 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 uh, but there are a lot of people doing away with it. And what I mean by there are a lot of rules that are really trying to hurt the kicking game. And I can see the kicking game being null and void years from now, especially kickoffs. Did Ellen done a lot to negate that kickoff from even happening at the college level? You can now fair catch it from anywhere between the end zone and the 25-yard line. You get the ball at the 25-yard line. So, as you mentioned, they, they've done made many attempts to try to negate it, but to your point about emphasizing special teams, those are no coach would make every again, like you said, make everybody participate in special teams every single day. You focus on a different phase um, throughout practice, and it was made to be known it was important. And the coach's quote was always, "Special teams are for special people." 
and uh, he, that was preached constantly. It hung up in the locker room. So if you played for Coach Monarch, you've definitely heard that term, if not on a daily basis, on a, on a pretty regular basis, I would say. Um, let's go ahead and turn our attention to Coach's historic Hall of Fame career and some of the memories he's made along the way in our Thanks for the Memories segment. Coach, today we want to focus on your 2011 St. Charles Championship run, where we even kind of discussed that that's your only 15-0 and championship run that you had in your coaching career. Yes, Jason, that's the only time we went 15-0, and I think, of when we won in 78 and 75 at, at, at Lutcher. Uh, we had a 13-0 and at Riverside Academy, um, but we didn't play 15 games there. But the, the bottom line, uh, Jason, it, the run was tremendous. Uh, the team was tremendous. I had some kids that actually signed scholarships there off that team. Uh, that were really good, like Cedric Thompson uh, was on that team, Jalen Smith, Jeffrey Hall, uh, Marcus Hall, uh, Taylor Cochran. Uh, we talked about especially he he was 315 pounds and blocked a punt. Uh, three in the game it ended right. nine to eight. I mean, uh, uh, Brandon Zimmer was on was on that team. Ended up playing Louisiana College, but you know, a big old Taylor comes through the line and he just lays out and, and blocks a punt when he hit the ground. Uh, you know, it registered on the Richter scale. But, I mean, he's just a phenomenal effort. But he bought into the system that, wait a minute, just because I'm 315 pounds does not mean I can't rush the punter. You know, so it was a phenomenal run. Uh, you know, that team was 12-0. and We averaged 42 points a game. We had seven shutouts on the year, but we averaged 42 points a game. Uh, Donnie Savard was, was our quarterback, and uh, Austin Weber had to end up playing in, in the state championship game because the Cedric Thompson had gotten dinged and Marcus Hall had gotten dinged during the regular season. And uh, but uh, we had we had some real, real good players and had a tough linebacker by the name of Dante Scaparo. But he was small, but he was tougher than a two dollar steak. You know, but that was a special team. Uh, when we were playing, we started off the first game was against Kaplan at home, and we won that conventionally. Then the next game we. We faced a very talented Patterson team. They had a quarterback going to the University of Southern Mississippi. And, I mean, they were really good, very, very fast. They ran a, a defense that I, I called it the sticky Sam. Everybody was in two yards of the line of scrimmage. And nobody, I mean, and they gave you fits. They were blitzing all. And you didn't know who they were blitzing with. And uh, But we came out of that ball game, and they were in shock. We beat them 31-6 to at home. They were 12-0 and going to the game. And uh, then after that, we followed that game up and, and went to range for uh, – that was a shootout game. And then the, the semifinal game was against Parkview Baptist. And um, this is where we connected with Chris Miet on the fourth down and 16. Now he throws the pass over the middle on, on the dig route, and he makes 17 yards on it. And uh, we ended up beating Parkview Baptist that night, which is a uh, – they only had one loss going, going into the year. They were a real good football team. And the late great uh, Kenny Giat was the head coach there. And then we go to Superdome, and we faced a very talent, a talented A-Me team. I didn't think we really played that well that night. Um, in fact, I, I thought we were kind of uh, sluggish because we had such a big uh, game against uh, against Parkview Baptist. But give credit to A-Me because they were very, very athletic. They had a linebacker that must have made a 1,000 tackles in that ball game. Uh, I remember a couple fourth-down calls that we had to make to, to seal the game, uh, the, the whole deal. But it was a tremendous, tremendous year. Uh, that will never be forgotten at St. Charles. I, I don't know if you're ever going to play 15 games again uh, because of the new format with the select, non-select. Um, but that was a very, very special team uh, with, some, with some very, very good football players. 
that hung together. And, you know, they had just this, this great confidence in there about themselves, uh, you know, and, and uh, we, I, I can't say enough about that team and the coaching staff in that year. And, Coach, I, I got to be at the Parkview Baptist game, one of the best high school football games I've ever been to, one of the craziest finishes. I remember the emotion that went into that game, and it was from start to finish. You knew it was going to be, and, and no disrespect to whoever played, whoever was either team was going to play next, which just happened to be a meet because it was a great game. But that game felt like the state title. And maybe to your point, that's why the team might not have come out as sharp or fresh the next week. But your team battled so much adversity that season with all these injuries to where you had guys. Um, Lazedra Thompson was really roughed up and had to find a way to come back. And he, he could only run north and south, I remember um, hearing. And then you, you mentioned to me Marcus Hall was hurt. So you had to put Jeffrey Hall on, on the offense when he had moved to defensive back, even though he started his career at running back. And finding a way to win these tight games, your team misses a PAT, I believe, in yes. in the Dome, yeah. and, they, and they have to hit a field goal and, and blocking a punt. And But that's what, spe- that's what St. Charles football has been since you had entered the program is, like we talked about last week, special teams, field position, make the other team beat you, turnover margin, you know, and, and all of those things kind of came together for that magical run in 2011. And it was, again, six shutouts that season, which is unheard of. But that was a, a fun season to watch from the outside and or getting to cover, I should say, in that Parking Baptist game, which is one of the best games I've been to. And I've been to some pretty good ones. Yeah. But, um, but it was a fun one to watch. You know that, that, that we also had good, we had good players. I mean, Luke Jackson was on that team, and he eventually went to went to Tulane after that. But you know, just we alluded to this last week is how that team that turned over the margin was plus twenty three. That's a tribute to the offense that they ran. Uh, the quarterback took care of the football, and the running backs protected the ball extremely well. And you know, we we tell the quarterback, you know, if it's not there, just don't don't force the throw. It's okay to punt. It's nothing wrong with punting. It's better than the alternative, which is a turnover. So it's okay and turn it over to your defense and play the field position with you. And that's kind of been our trademark. And in fact, I, the, the game the other night, I'm watching St. Charles play the other night against Shaw, and they don't have gaudy stats, but the game ended up being a blowout because they played on a short field, played excellent special teams, and and they didn't turn over the ball one time. So I mean, that's the difference, and and that's a great defense, and that's the difference in. And winning or lose, so those things still hold up uh, over time. But that that 2011 football team uh, was very very special from the standpoint of their attitude, and they didn't feel like anyone could 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 beat them. And I'll wrap it up for the thanks for the memory segment. We're going to go ahead and move on again. We know Coach has laid it all on the line as a head coach, but let's see where he's laying his money down this week as we are in the lock of the week segment. And after Coach goes, I'm going to go ahead and make my pick. Coach, we're both technically 0 for 1, although I didn't make my pick on air. We, you, you said last week, don't bet on sentiment. And sure enough, you did. And I also said LSU would win and, and took the two and a half points. So we both come out 0 and 1 losers in week number one. Let's see if we can turn around our luck here in week two. Coach, who do you have? Well, number one, I really like Wisconsin. I don't know what the line is yet uh, on, on the game. I look forward to today. But I like Wisconsin versus Washington State. 
that Wisconsin plays excellent defense. They're a hard-nosed football team. But this is what I'm going to do also, and I'm going to pick Florida, and I'm going to pick that as a parlay on the money line. So pick Wisconsin and Florida as a parlay. And I think that Coach Nick – now, the, the thing you have to watch with Florida, and I, I'm saying this, uh, I'm betting Florida, but I have to say this, that after your high is high, your low is slow. They were extremely high after that, that last victory. So you have to look for emotional letdown here. But I do think they're a better football team uh, than Kentucky. Well, Coach snuck one in on me, so we can't really compete, co- really compare this week. I don't know if he's going to throw out a parlay. So that's a little bit un- – I want you to give me a warning. But I- I'll tell you, I-, I feel like this line is almost cheating, the one I found. And again, I don't love going after the, the, the big money games, the ones that everybody's talking about. I'm looking at UNC on the road, favored by seven against Georgia State. Take UNC all day long. They didn't play very well against Appalachian State. I'm aware of that. They only won by two points. However, Georgia State lost 35-14 to 14 against the South Carolina Ball Club a week ago. UNC is going to come into this game feeling like they have something to prove after having played not you know, pretty – you know, pretty blah defensively and, you know, have that offensive firepower. I am taking UNC all day favored by seven points at Georgia State. And I feel like that is the easiest money. If it's, if the line stays at seven, that's the easiest money you're going to make this week. And that'll do it here for Jason. One correction I need to make. I said that Brooks and Jackson were my, were my, my nephews. They're my grandchild. That, that means that they want more money, okay? So I said that earlier in the broadcast, and I have to apologize to Jackson and Brooks. <laughs> and that'll wrap things up here for this episode. You can follow us at the LBF Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Look for our group, the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast, on Facebook, where we try to post almost daily. And, uh, again, please go ahead and follow us. We try to provide you content. and. Reach out, ask questions, be interactive, and we'd love for you to be a part of the show as we've already had a few questions on thus far. And then I'll wrap things up, Coach. Um, next week we have another week of football, some high school action. We're going to see how these local colleges stack up against the competition as they move forward, some of them taking some losses and needing to build up, some of them kind of riding high off of victories. Either way, a a lot of great high school football. Go watch a game this Friday. There's a ton of great matchups, whether in New Orleans, River Parishes, wherever you are, go catch a game. There's too many out there to not go at least see one of these. Uh, It could be Lutcher versus St. Charles, or it could be one of those games, again, one of those uh, games in New Orleans. A ton of great matchups. So, uh, again, any final thoughts before we head out, Coach? No, the final thought. Uh, next week, I'm hoping that uh, Jason and I can um, look, trying to get in touch with. And I talked good friend of mine, Bobby Brister, to have him on on the on the air as our guest host. And uh, uh, if not, we'll go with Lionel Washington uh, and the guy who who I coached previously. So, so stay tuned. It'll be one of those two. All right, so they'll do things from also for head coach Frank Monica, and also from Justin Thomas. I am Jason Dewey, and remember, let's lay ball to over lay let the good times roll.